Let's not kid ourselves. People have innovated tremendously and have been able to convince one hospital, two hospitals, three, five, ten. But how do you get to 100? And if you get to 100, how do you get to 500? Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Hello, everyone. I hope you are enjoying your summer and ready for another candid and insightful conversation about health innovation. Today, Guy Spiegelman from AWS Startups welcomes Dolly Kalani from Life into the show, a digital health company that's all about connecting, standardizing, and securing health data across Europe. They're on a mission to ensure everyone gets the best healthcare possible by tackling data access challenges and embracing privacy, security, and compliance by design. So, if you're curious about the future of healthcare in Europe and how tech plays a role, you are in the right place. Over to Guy. Welcome, and it's great to start this next edition of the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. And I'm very excited that Dali Kilani from Lifen is joining us. Welcome, Dali. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is a great opportunity here. Great. Where are you today in the world? I'm actually in Germany. I'm based in Cologne, even though our headquarters are actually in Paris. So we've been a, a distributed European company for all these years. And this is pre-COVID. So uh, it's a great way to kind of get to know your local markets. Okay. Let's touch straight on that point. Tell me what Lifen does, actually, and then we'll get into where it all started and this whole distributed model, that's interesting as well. But just give us a little like one to two minute introduction into Lifen, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. So Lifen came about from an initial motivation that uh, we wanted to bring data-driven decision-making, analytics, AI into the mix and help all practitioners and patients and benefit from all this technology that was actually becoming the norm in every single vertical outside healthcare. So we came in in 2015, 16, and we started thinking about all these great things that we wanted to do. Uh, and we realized that the first step is actually to get data and get it out of paper and into digital form. And that's been kind of the first use case that we focused on is to provide solutions to exchange data in a structured, secure, seamless, and uh, reliable way between doctors, patients, institutionals, insurance companies, etc., and make this data flow from the hospital to outside the hospital in the most uh, fluid and natural way in order to improve patient outcomes, make sure that uh, patient care coordination actually happens in a fluid fashion, get everybody involved, give the doctor a 360 view around the patient journey. All these things is actually at the heart of Cleveland's uh, of value proposition. And that's why our motto is actually better care together bringing everybody together, share the data, make everybody aware of everything that actually the patient has, in, has, has endured during that journey and make sure that they get treated and get the best care possible. Like you said, Lifen's motto is better care together. And I guess that's a very big statement and a very nice ideal, but it's much harder to do than it sounds, right? Like you would think that around the patient, there's a lot of coordination. We want the best outcome. We want to be efficient. But you started to mention at the beginning that one of your first challenges is actually digitizing the data itself, getting it in a place where it can be shared. When you first started, what was the status of the data? And again, we're talking about Europe. Different markets have different journeys with this challenge. So tell me where you were back then. So when we started in France, because that's where actually we were geographically based, like every startup. You go out to the building. That's when they tell you rule number one is get out of the building, go talk mm -hmm. to people. 
And we started going into these hospitals and administrative units. And we started realizing that we saw people on their desks. We had, they had these piles of papers. We're like, what is the, they, and they start mentioning, oh, these are all the basically the documents that the doctors have written. And this is the discharge letters, for example, after an operation, after a treatment, after a chemotherapy, and all these letters actually get written down. Usually this is a dictaphone type of thing. So the doctor will speak into them and the secretary will transcribe that and will just bring it back to the doctor so they can read it quickly. They sign it. And then the secretary or the assistant would just put these letters in, a, in an envelope, would put a stamp on them, would write the address of the, the doctor. Okay. And, and they'd take a photocopy of it to put on file or? Yeah. And they'll keep paper files. And sometimes then just scan it and put scan it back it. into the EMR. I, I don't know. Do you have anyone in your family that's a medical doctor? So the second thing and the, the confirmation of all this is that my wife is actually a doctor in Germany here in the hospital. And she was telling me that this is the day-to-day -day life of her assistant. And that her assistant was actually going completely crazy. Doctors move, patients move, discharge letters get lost, and the continuity of care gets lost. The fact that uh, if you go and do a lab result and you don't get it in the mail, that means in many cases, the doctor ends up asking for the lab results a second time. And it's just a massive pain. My dad's a doctor. And one of my sort of memories as a child was him at home with a dictaphone going over his unreadable handwritten notes, talking to his secretaries and going, there's a this or this or this and this. I'm talking about the 70s and 80s, right? And that was just life, right? And I guess part of the struggle was that doctors of his generation, when things started to digitize, there must have been a bit of resistance as well. I think this is one key learning that we actually realized when we came into the space, whether it's in the hospital or in doctor opposite, right? Doctors get trained to be great at being doctors. And you have these new tools, these new digital tools, SaaS software, computers, and this and that. But they're just tools. They're expected to just be masters to use them. They get trained for years and years to use a scalpel and how to operate a patient. But you're bringing new tools to these people and you don't train them. Nobody's training them actually efficient with these tools or to even give feedback about, oh, this is painful. This should be different. They don't know any better. So what I keep telling some of the people when we go in the field and we talk to these doctors, I tell them, you're threshold for pain of these digital tools is so high. I feel for you. This is insane. Nobody would actually accept such uh, tools for so long. And no wonder that you actually don't want to change things because every new project that comes in and brings new tools without the training, without the custom, the end user feedback, without any UX focus, that's just a nightmare waiting to happen and actually can only make the user experience or at least the day-to-day -day life for the doctor or the assistant or all these people in the medical environment worse, not better. And we know it in every single IT environment. When you bring new tools to users, you have to train them. You have to take the time to get them onboarded and all that stuff. That doesn't happen, unfortunately, in a healthcare environment enough. And therefore, all these users end up being, instead of being empowered by these tools, they basically get driven down and actually all this stuff just hurts them in their day-to-day -day life. And that's why we end up with doctors reporting 30, 35, almost 40% of their time going to administrative work, not care work or care time. And then that leads to physician burnout and all sorts of other challenges. Look, 
the whole issue of training in the healthcare system. I was once at the Henry Ford Medical System in Detroit with a whole bunch of startups and the head of training, she was a nurse and a very senior public health official as well. She was saying that she has 20 hours a year for training of nurses and other practitioners on tools. And that's all she has. And if there's a new tool coming in, she has to take an hour or two off training somewhere else to add training for a new tool. And like, this is one of the things that holds up innovation, right? That little tiny point. And you, you think you've come in with this incredible innovation. It's going to save lives. It's going to make everything else. And this one thing can block the whole process. Absolutely. And you would think one of the things that we've done at Lightroom when we actually introduce our tools into new environments, we actually go on site and we do these training sessions for every user who's going to be exposed to our tools. And we make this so cheap that hospitals don't say no, because it's of course, this is almost at cost, if not below cost for us. But this means that people will embrace the tools, will give us feedback, will help us get the tools to be better because they'll use them. Because there's a whole graveyard of tools that nobody uses, that the hospital buys and nobody uses. And there's nothing worse for product innovators to have tools out there that nobody's using because you never get the feedback. You, can't, you, get, you don't get to improve them. You don't get to have the impact. You don't get to obviously. I, I just want to take a step back and just go now to talk about life and core value proposition. What's your suite of products? Who is the target audience? Uh, and then a little bit of a business update. Where are you today? Absolutely. So Leafen started in 2015-16. Our first product actually came to the market in 2017. And our first uh, product was Life and Sending. The idea here is very simple. Whatever care is delivered to the hospital, anything that needs to be sent to a practitioner, to a patient, and any medical document or medical record that needs to be shared, whether with the patient or a doctor outside the hospital, we made that workflow a one-click operation with Guarantee of delivery, all digital, secure, easy. Today, people who adopt our tool and life and sending, actually they're able to digitize more than 90% of whatever communication that is leaving the hospital. And by the way, to make it one click away and you don't have to worry about it, the tool allows you also to send paper mail to people who prefer to receive paper mail. If your doctor was 65 and about to retire and hasn't embraced uh, new digital tools and all that stuff. And you're used to getting your paper and basically your, all these letters, these medical records of the mail. Lifen doesn't prevent you from that. The tool embraces all channels and whoever is sharing that medical record has a very simple operation, upload the document, the AI extracts all the information out of it and cross-checks with the doctor basically directory within France or within the environment you're in and uh, identifies What's the right channel to deliver that medical record on? Whether it's by secured email, whether it's by paper mail, whether it's by other means that are provided by the government, et cetera. So that's our main product. And this actually has been deployed into hundreds and hundreds of hospitals today. We have enabled medical communication between 320,000 medical professionals in France in the last six years. 320,000 medical yes. professionals. That's a, whether, that's a fantastic number. Whether they sent or received something using our tools. Yes. Okay. And that's your primary product today? That's the primary product. We provide that product to the market. It has been a tremendous success in France. We're actually close to 50% market share in this area. We started looking at other things as opportunities. We realized that 
as a SaaS being deployed in a hospital environment, there aren't that many SaaS uh, uh, solutions that actually are able to scale to a thousand facilities that use our product. We realized that a lot of the building blocks could be provided as APIs for the next Lifeson. So we created the product called Lifeson Platform that is a set of APIs that allow you to access some of the building blocks that we built our products on. And we made those available to third parties. And we have more than 20, uh, basically, SaaS solutions today that tap into these APIs to be able to leverage some of the work and stand on the shoulders of maybe not giants, but actually on shoulders that are solid enough to be able to go to the next level and avoid for these 20 plus uh, solutions to have to start from zero. One hospital at a time. It's the whole grind. We went through that grind. We would be so hold on. So your platform's installed in all these hospitals, and then you allow other solutions to work on top of your platform. And then does that, is that correct? So they're not, so they're not installed at the hospital. All the solutions we're talking about are all SaaS solutions. Everything is SaaS. Nothing is installed at the hospital. And that's they're actually, used by the hospital. Exactly. That's correct. Thank you for that. Yes. So used by the hospital, but via Lifem. Yes, absolutely. And this has allowed these third-party solutions to deploy hospitals. Can you give me a couple of examples of what type of solutions? Yeah, these are, for example, dermatology solutions where after you've gone through an operation, the wound needs to kind of heal and tracking wound healing. There's an application called Pixacare in France. And this application allows you to take pictures and actually communicate with your doctor so they can tell you, are you healing properly? Do you, is there basically an inflammation? Do you need to come back and go in for treatment and follow up with your GP? And all these things happen in a digital form. So that's an example for you. So let me ask you this. Are yeah. you looking for more of these solutions to partner with? Absolutely. And okay. we are actually... So this is your chance, right? That, There's that, an audience out there. Who are the three or four target type of solutions you're looking for? Yes. And then if someone's out there, we'll, they'll have their details, how to contact you via the link. Who are you looking for? Absolutely. So we have multiple solutions that are in the remote patient monitoring. Mm-hmm. So this is, first of all, in, in home care or follow-ups after operations, all these things, or chronic diseases, uh, diabetes, uh, heart disease, and all these things. There are a lot of solutions right now to kind of keep people at home, only get them to the hospital on an, or when they really need to get to the hospital, being able to track their vital signs, make sure that you identify that things are going wrong, whether people are getting their medication or not. All these solutions that allow you the remote uh, tracking of patients have been a tremendous success and have actually used our APIs successfully. Second one is telemedicine because... They were widely successful during COVID and they continue to actually find their uh, sweet spot there. The idea there is that if you're doing a teleconsultation, you want right away a medical record of that consultation. If there is a diagnostic, if there's a prescription, digitize all of that, use the APIs to communicate to the different uh, players in the journey. Um, and there are more ideas on, on life and that health at our website. You, I mean, one can see a lot of these solutions that are actually listed there and can see examples and the types of specialties and the ideas and verticals where this and, is. And you're working with dozens, if not more, healthcare institutions that if someone partners with you, they will have access to those as well. And hundreds. the whole procurement, everything would be made easier. Yes, hundreds, because interoperability, well. this is all these APIs are fire-based. Uh, the audience actually is probably familiar with that. Structured information. We're largely present in France, but we're actually also expanding to the UK. And there's some initial uh, work that's happening in the UK and initial partnerships are actually then going to be announced soon. So 
this is that's the the foundation and our our hope is that we craft and we found a way to scale of the space and we would like to be enablers for the next people who are trying to follow in our footsteps and be able to scale and deliver these solutions at scale. Because that's been the difficult part in healthcare. Let's not kid ourselves. People have innovated tremendously and have been able to convince one hospital, two hospitals, three, five, ten. But how do you get to a hundred? And if you get to a hundred, how do you get to five hundred? The economy of scale uh, has eluded a lot of the players who have been innovators of this space. And that's been a fundamental challenge. I and mean, we wanted to bring our uh, piece of the puzzle in, in, into this and try to help enable these players accelerate their journey and their growth. That's fantastic. And, you know, just in terms of business model for you guys, it's a SaaS solution. How are you charging? And what is your arrangement for your primary purpose product? And then for these partner solutions, are you taking some sort of percentage? I don't need exact numbers here, but just to get an idea of the model so that when people are thinking either partnering with you or approaching their own and building their own scale up in healthcare, talk to me the model a little bit. We believe in aligning incentives. So basically, we believe that the healthcare space has not relied enough on business models where the incentives are aligned. So we decided that the way to actually position ourselves in the market and make sure that our customers benefited the most is in our communication product, it's a consumption-based pricing. If you share 100 documents, you pay a number and it's basically a decreasing scale of cost per yeah, If you do 1,000, it's less per interaction Absolutely. than if you do a million, even less. Right. I get it. So, All right, makes sense. That's very simple. It aligns the benefit. And we actually put in a lot of effort in making sure that people are trained that they use the tools, otherwise we don't get paid. So you're incentivized to encourage usage. Absolutely. And on the partnership side, there are two types of APIs. Some of them are transaction. If you call an API to send a medical record to a destination, that's a fee per basically usage. And if you're trying to tap into the patient record within the hospital, we have an API for that that allows you to imagine third-party tool that has zero integration effort with the hospital IT system. And you just integrate it with the Life and APIs and you can auto-complete the name of patients and find all their administrative information directly within your tool without having to do any technical work past the first time you do it. And you can scale that to hundreds of hospitals independent of what the EMR they have, et cetera. And okay, I just want to stop you too, because you talked about medical record and patient record. So let's just, let's be a bit clear on the terminology because what I think what I'm hearing is when you refer to medical record, you're maybe you're referring to maybe this skin solution or your solution. You're actually talking about just a report of a particular interaction. Is that correct? Exactly. exactly. That's right. Whereas the patient record is more the EHR, right? Electronic yes. health record. Yes, absolutely. Just wanted and to we, clarify that. Absolutely. That's right. And uh, when you think about, say, a point solution that is SaaS that's trying to get into a hospital, usually you're trying to perform, and there's an interaction between a doctor who's using the tool and a patient, right? Whether it's for radiology purposes, whether it's a lab, whether it's a, some wood healing tracking or, or journey tracking type of tool. Basically, the journey is the same. You're going to onboard the patient on your tool, and therefore you have to find and fill up all that information. If you have to retype all the patient information, their name, their date of birth, all the administrative, their contact information, what's their phone number. If you have to retype it every time, their potential NHS mm -hmm. number or INS in France, all that information, you have to retype it every single time. That's just a major pain for the doctor. What we provide the API so that in the tool, you can just, you know, type Alex and start typing and you get auto completion and you find Alex, click on it, boom, it pre-fills all the information for that uh, 
patient basically in that tool and you have no typos. You have the proper, basically guaranteed traceability. I want to talk, touch on a few things now. First of all, patient records, data, hot topic, especially in France and Europe where GDPR is interpreted in all sorts of ways. And you guys have some pretty interesting history with all of this. Talk to me about your challenges here and your successes, because you're obviously operating and you said 320,000 healthcare professionals have already had some sort of touch point with your solution. So you're scaling, but talk to me about those challenges and how you've addressed them. That's my first question. And I've got another follow-up. All right. That's good. So on that front, we believed very early that clearly the most sensitive information that somebody has is their medical record. I mean, usually people think about banking information as very critical, but the reality is that you can change your bank account. There are insurance that will reimburse you. And if you get a credit card that's stolen, literally, you can just pick up the phone and say, hey, my card got stolen. Oh, somebody paid whatever or with it. You get your money back. You move on. You go somewhere. No problem. If you get your medical record stolen, you cannot change your medical history. And somebody is going to have information that can potentially, for various reasons, they can use against you. So it's extremely sensitive. And we were very aware of that. And that actually led us very early in the journey when we were 25 or 30 people. This is actually life at a very small scale. We decided to go and get certified. ISO 27001, 27, get a DPO full-time, a digital protection officer, sorry establish privacy by design, security by design practices in our product development cycles on a need-to-know basis, limited privileges all over the place. Nobody has wide accesses or administrative accesses across the board in a continuous fashion. If somebody needs them, they have to ask for them. They have to ask them in the most for a limited amount of time. So all these protections, we've done them very early in the life of a because we felt that we needed everybody on the team to get exposed. And one of the criteria that we actually used to talk about internally is, would we feel comfortable be treated at a hospital that used Lifen? So, you know, it's the ultimate test, right? Listen, at AWS, we talk about privacy security compliance as job zero. That sounds like what I'm hearing here. It's like you start there and it's just in the DNA of the company and everything that you do, but still, did you face external challenges with that? And what were they and how did you address them? Yeah. When you're a small company, nobody knows you. You show up and say, hey, how about you send me every single medical record that you have that you need to communicate to the outside world? And you're going to just pipe it through this cloud solution. And don't worry, I got you covered. It doesn't fly that way. Of course, people start asking questions. And we've been able since the beginning to show the type of controls encryption everywhere, the type of separation of concerns, not the people who actually have access to encryption keys. I'm not the people who are running our operational teams. So all these good practices that actually came, we forced every single user in our tools internally and externally to be into multi-factor authentication for the last, since day one, almost. We were very conscious about phishing campaigns that people would start to target us when we start becoming visible. And some of our main large customers challenged us. And we came back and we said, look, we're going to be extremely transparent. These are the practices. These are the internal, basically, processes that we have to protect the data. And we trained our sales team to embrace and understand those processes, to be able to talk about them and reassure our customers. And as part of our pitches, 
talk to the security officer at the hospital, talk to the privacy officer at the hospital and be able to share the type of things that we do and even packaged everything to be ready to go off the shelf. As part of our commercial pitch, we would put as an attachment a full documentation of all these processes and how things work and cut that. And being upfront about it actually made people feel comfortable because they're like, well, they have nothing to hide. They're even preempting the conversation. They're being upfront about it. They're, Good tip. Yep. That's a great tip. Like, just put it out there. Just say, we understand it. This, you're really concerned about this. We are also concerned about this, right? And here's the proof. Here's the documentation. Here's everything that we're doing. The other thing I wanted to touch on, because you started to mention that you might have some announcements coming around England soon. When did you consider that starting international expansion? And how does that affected the company in terms of both product, because you might be linking to different systems now, but also in company culture and mentality? Like you said at the beginning, you were distributed, but how distributed and how's that been a challenge for the company and how are you addressing that challenge? Yeah, that's a great question because it's interesting. There's a saying that says basically healthcare is fundamentally local. And uh, even when you think about these solutions that are global, same, when you install an EMR, EHR, basically Epic or Cerner or some big, a big player there, when you install to the UK or in Germany or in the US, it doesn't look the same. It doesn't look the same. And you can't really rely on, oh, I'm going to just sell the same thing. The banking sector has been regulated the same way, for example, across Europe. And you have all these neobanks that are able to basically set up shop in one of the countries and then just address every single other country because it's the same regulation, the same dynamics. That's Believe not- I'm a very happy customer of one of those neobanks here in Amsterdam. And it's like super convenient. It's like, wow. Yes, we would love for healthcare to get to that point. And there's a huge push at the EU level to standardize how patient records are defined. And that's going to take us a couple of years and maybe a decade to get there. But the reality is that the initial investment that has been happening at the EU level to define all things will help in the future and reduce this barrier today. You could be at the intersection of Belgium, France, and Luxembourg and Germany. This is all within a maybe a 50 mile radius, but you have four healthcare systems that look nothing the same. The people are the same. You treat them the same. The ailments are the same. The cure is the same. The but treatment protocols are basically the same. Exactly. But it does not work the same way, unfortunately, from a workflow perspective, from a value chain perspective, from a single payer versus private insurance, the public insurance dollar, and a regulation perspective. So when we cross the border into Germany, we cross the border into UK, First of all, you get data locality is very critical for people. Brexit, of course, has pushed the bar even further. You can't store medical information for UK patients outside the UK now. And so that means you're working with AWS, right? So that means you're set up in different regions and... That means you're setting up in different regions and it's actually pretty convenient to be with AWS because you get regions in UK and Germany and France. Ireland. So you get to be able to be local while dealing with technical, basically, foundations that are fundamentally the same, which in the world of DevOps and and GitOps and infrastructure as code, that means you can lay your services out in these different countries with minimal overhead. But still, when you get to the application level, doctors and nurses and medical professionals don't expect the same information to be uh, put out. Uh, the research process is not the same. There are challenges and we had to adapt and we had to have people on the ground. 
who actually know the domain and who are comfortable and accustomed to how the dynamics work. We've had very encouraging conversations with a lot of players in the UK who actually um, way more open for innovation than what we experienced in some other European countries, to be honest. And that's been actually reassuring. We've had conversations also with some of the trusts, the NHS trusts, which are uh, also very open-minded and very adept at adapting solutions that solve their problems. Having people on the ground is important because you can't call somebody across the border and say, hey, I'm based in France. I think I know what your problem is and I think I have a solution for you. Would you be willing to start a pilot next week? That just doesn't fly. So that's been a, that's always a challenge. And as I said, data locality is just like fragmentation and regulation also, because GDPR covers all of Europe, but then there are some institutional actors in the privacy space don't necessarily interpret GDPR the same way in different areas. Uh, in certain parts of Germany, you are by law not allowed to have medical information in the cloud, just by law. So although yeah. that is changing, yes. first of all, one and two, there's a question whether it's law or interpretation of the law, because we did just announce recently a first hospital that's gone all in on the cloud in Germany. And they were able to do that because the actual legislation doesn't prohibit it. And it's been more the conservative interpretation a lot of the time. Um, but that we're still a long way from a wide adoption, I agree. But I think we're, I think we're seeing more positive signs in the past. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's only a matter of risk management, right? A lot of the players are just saying, oh, I don't want to be an early adopter. I'm trying to save lives. I'm willing to sit out and wait a little bit for the dust to settle, the regulations to happen, the clarification of the interpretation of the rules and all that stuff. And then I'm happy to jump into the fray with the... I don't want to be the first one. I don't want to be the second one. I'll be happy to Listen, be on the back. The first thing they teach doctors is do no harm, right? It's the first part of the Hippocratic Oath. And so there's inherent conservatism in, our, in the health system. However, there's something what I like to call a clinical opportunity cost. By not adopting innovation, are you potentially not giving the best clinical care and therefore not getting the best clinical outcomes compared to others who have adopted that innovation? And I think that is something we don't talk about enough because as a motivator to actually take that risk management approach, because if you are preventing or reducing clinician burnout, that's just better for the health system and better for patients. Yeah. I'm going to jump on that and actually share an example. Um, Great. This is what I want. Some examples now of where you've made a difference and let's, yes, let's get absolutely. some of those. So example, this burnout problem, we've seen it with um, medical assistants and all these people who I mentioned were dealing with paper and all that stuff. In order to simplify their lives, we developed an AI that was able to take a PDF document, a scanned document in some way, and be able to identify who's the patient, who's the doctor, what's the diagnosis, the date of the, whatever the diagnosis was happening, all these informations in a way that prevented them from typing the information again. And we had questions early on saying, oh, what if the AI actually made mistakes and this and that? Conservatism, do no harm. And the solution has been very interesting. We said the AI is not substituting for the human. The AI is a co-pilot. The AI is there to help pre-seal information and allow the human actor in this space to double check and make sure that the information is correct and confirm if it's correct or not. And that saved tens of thousands of hours of work because we have been able to deliver this co-pilot or sidekick for all the users in order to extract the information with high certainty. But the human is the one who's actually bearing 
the responsibility, the final say. Yep. Listen, do you have any interesting testimonials or people? Oh, I can share. Here's an anecdote that's going to resonate with the audience, hopefully. We had a situation where we had a pilot with this hospital. And they had a pilot with 20 medical secretaries who were actually using life and sending. And they started to enjoy it. And, and they liked the product very much. It just happens that the decision maker wasn't yet convinced and said, oh, at the end of the pilot, I think we're going to reassess things. The medical secretaries went on strike when they said, if we're going to go back to the old way of doing things, we're not working anymore. Amazing. There's a vote of confidence. But the reality is that they threatened to say, we can't go back to the old ways. We found a better way that works better, that's faster, that gives us back time so we can actually take care of patients and not have to deal with all this paper and all this administrative work, we're not going back. That's a great story. And then I'm assuming then that it worked and they adopted I, the... I, I wouldn't be shared with who didn't. Of course. But yeah, that really does sum it up. Like initial fear of change, but then once it happens and you see that... And I mean, I guess a lot of digital transformation is like that across industry. But there's so many layers in terms of decision-making in healthcare. In a lot of cases in healthcare, the business models are sometimes a little bit challenging because the end user for the tool that you're providing is not the payer. The decision-maker is either the CIO or the chief medical officer, and they're not using the tool every day. So they have to decide on a budget and spend money to make life better for some of their team, but they're not experiencing the tool directly. So when you go and pitch, it's a sales process where you're trying to convince somebody who's not using the tool and who's relying on secondhand satisfaction metrics and all that stuff. And that's always challenging in healthcare because when you're at least in the hospital environment, when you're in practice and it's, and it's the doctor himself or herself who's actually making a decision for themselves, it's a different Johnny proposition. You're just pitching to the person who's actually using it. So you can value things a little differently, but in a hospital environment, that's always a challenge. Yeah, that's a big challenge. I hear that from many of our customers and we've got to, I think, I think we can do some stuff there as an industry to encourage those kind of sandbox environments and other environments at the hospital sites to gain comfort and reduce some of those fears of change and adoption and make the business case as well. Listen, I want to spend a bit more time at the end talking about what's next for Lifen, but before we do that, I want so a bit more of a personal uh, ask to you. Being a startup founder, how did that come about for you? What were you doing before? Were you always in startups or is this a new thing for you? And then, I mean, what do you think it takes in terms of personality to be really successful in the startup life? Absolutely. So my journey, I'm getting close to my kind of a 25-year professional experience at this point. I started my life building systems for telecommunication operators, and I couldn't be any further from healthcare. And then I went through various verticals and various domains. Uh, I landed in healthcare, first of all, because as I said, my wife is a doctor and I started realizing the pain and the difficulties of the day-to-day -day life. And two, healthcare is very personal to all of us, right? I mean, we're all going to be a patient at some point, unfortunately, because we're just machines that end up falling apart. That's the money has clicked them. So um, Lifen is actually my seventh startup in my life. Your seventh? Yes. And okay. Whether I joined early, I founded or co-founded, whether I joined when uh, during the acceleration phase, I've had basically stints at also at large companies. So I've had a diverse 
path. I do like the startup environment because I'm basically a doer. I like problem solving. I'm an optimist by nature, clearly a glass half full type of person. Healthcare is not for the faint of heart. Clearly the challenges all over the place, but the reward is so important because you get to see people give you these testimonials and tell you that you saved lives, you know, figuratively, but sometimes also actually because all this information that's flying instantly now that used to take three days. And sometimes the fact that whoever received that information faster was able to make a better decision and possibly save a patient. That's extremely rewarding. And startups are hard. Startups in healthcare are even harder, but uh, clearly extremely rewarding at the end of the journey. And uh, it's something that I recommend. Don't get frustrated. It's a space that's uh, changing and it's transforming gradually. Nothing stays behind forever. There's a lot of innovation, even in the delivery of healthcare services now. I will tell these vertically integrated players where you only deal with one stop shop and some of the actors are actually trying to step in here. Some of them are Amazon in the US, for example. That's going to change the game significantly. But what we hear from hospital decision makers is that they would love to adopt more innovation, but the ecosystem is not set up right yet. And there are too many hurdles. It's too complicated for them. Lifen has been trying to lower that bar and make the friction lower. But at the end of the day, it takes a village to raise a child and it takes a, a whole ecosystem to actually deliver on that promise that uh, innovation is going to transform healthcare. And I'm very optimistic on this front, to be honest. I'm seeing a lot of people actually start here. Uh, it's way easier to do something today than it used to be 10 years ago. And it's only going to get uh, easier in the future because we're getting a new generation of doctors who are digital first, Gen Ys. They're very comfortable with tech. They see the value, et cetera, et cetera. So adoption is only going to get easier and that's going to just accelerate things. Listen, on that optimistic note, I think we're good. I think you've done a great job. And so I just want to thank you, Dali, CTO of Life, and for joining us today. I think there's some golden nuggets here for the audience to really learn from your story and so I just want to thank you very much. It's, I've had a great time talking to you today. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's been great. And we'd love to share our story and show that it's actually possible. Sometimes people get a little pessimistic about this, but I absolutely confirm it's totally possible. There are great things to have. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.